Good morning. Uh, thank you. We're, I feel like we're getting to know each other a little bit. Uh, look, friends, my name's Andy. I'm, I normally spend my mornings uh, down at St. Matt's in Botany. I always say down when I'm here, but I really think it's up. You know, it depends how you think about it. Um, um, no, really, Botany is where everyone that wants to live here lives um, that can't afford it. Uh, anyway, I'm the pastor there, and I uh, get to come up here occasionally, and I really am thankful for our time. I mean, am I doing this right? Or Thank you. There we go. Uh, now, I don't know how you felt as that long list was read out. You know, heroic example after heroic example. It just kept going as well, didn't it? It's like, oh gosh, when's it going to end? But no, example after example of concretely, what does it look like to have faith in God? Now, if you're new to the things of Christianity and Jesus, all those names would have been like, what the, who, what, where, who are these people? Uh, these are all kind of key, significant Old Testament people, so people before Jesus' time, who have all lived a life of faith. And here in Hebrews 11, they're holding them up. Here are people who have run the race and lived a life of faith. When I uh, read it, you know the thing that came to mind for me? Gosh, they don't make, make us like they used to, do they? You know what I mean? You think, these guys, example after example, decision after time and time again of people who modelled faith. Then I thought, maybe we're just Audi, you know, good, different. I was a bit hopeful, I am still hopeful, um, that we are good, different. Um, but friends, I think this is written for us so that we today would keep going as Christians. We'd keep going. And I'll be honest, I need as much help as I can get to keep going. I think living a life of faith is hard. It's really hard. And part of the difficulty, if not the most difficult thing, is verse 1, what the life of faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Why is this so hard for me? Because every voice, every neighbour, my kids at school, their parents, different family members, you know what they keep saying? You've got to believe in the here and now. That's all there is, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can feel. You don't want to you know, miss out. You, you just got to get what is right in front of you and you got to grab hold of it for all you can because if you don't, no one else will do it for you. Make the most of it now. Friends, do you find living by faith hard? Praying, talking to an invisible God, living lives shaped around an unseen Jesus, can't physically see him. How you choose to use your time, your energy, what you dream about shaped around 
an unseen reality. Now, I think that's because we're just like the original hearers. We can be tempted to think it's not worth it. The life of faith is not worth it. But Hebrews is written so that we would keep going. We would keep going. Now, we're not the first people to experience this struggle. I'm sure we won't be the last. And I think that's partly why we have this whole list of people who have run the race and lived the life of faith. Now, I think as I was reflecting this chapter, often people refer it to as the heroes of the faith. Have you heard of that? You know, the chapter of heroes of our faith. Everyone's blank. No, no one's heard of that. I get a few nods. Okay, that's good. Uh, but what, what I think that means, like, what, so we think, okay, these are all the heroes of the faith. And so, you know, you get Abraham, Moses, Noah. Now, while these guys had their very remarkable moments, these guys also had some really horrific moments too, didn't they? You know, Noah... He was a drunk. Uh, Abraham, he, you know, for his own safety, passed off his wife to another person. Not just once, but twice. Um, Moses, what was his life like? He, He was a murderer. You know, so pretty much you got all these key figures. They're not, they've been held up or they've been written down as people who live by faith. But gosh, this isn't their whole picture of their life. So I just think the heroes of the faith is a really unhelpful uh, way to think it because it means you think, oh, that's not me. You have that reaction that I had. It's not for me. I mean, if it was intended to be heroes of the faith, he could have picked better judges, couldn't he? You know, the, you know like Othniel or Deborah, you know, Jephthah. Do you know who, you remember who he was? He was the crazy one that made the deal with God that if they, you know, if they win, he'll kill his daughter. You know, does this ring in bells? Horrific. Not only did he say that, he followed through with it, divided it and sent it out among people. It's just like, what the heck? Why is his name in here? Samson, I mean, he slept with pretty much anything that moved. Uh, massive battles of sin. Massive. Gideon... We know Gideon, don't we? Just so insecure. So I'm not from the right family. You know, it just took sign and sign and sign again for him to finally trust God. I think we have this list, not because they're heroes, because, but because they're just ordinary, frail, sinful, weak people who trusted in God's promises. They're like us, deeply flawed, weak, yet these men and women have gone before us and trusted in his promises. And he's wanting to say this is just normal, ho-hum faith. This is what it looks like. And when we're tempted to give it up, to shrink back, he said, look at these people that have come before you. And friends, if you're not yet a Christian, can I say that you've just turned up on a great day because you've got kind of concrete examples of people who have lived a life of faith. And this is what it would look like to live a life of faith. 
So I'm looking forward to as we dig into it. Now, I've got two headings. I think I gave you a few more on that outline. So um, I've got two headings I want us to work through. One is, what does it teach us about faith? And secondly, what does this faith look like? Okay? First thing, what, is, what does it teach us about faith? Now, Hebrews 11, uh, that word faith, we kind of, we use that in society, don't we? Our, our, our culture uses it, unlike, you know, you know, the holy, holy of holies and the high priest and all the stuff we've been working through in Hebrews, we actually use the word faith, which I think can be unhelpful for us because in society we, we kind of use it in two completely different ways and, and almost opposed to each other. So on the one hand, uh, when I just typed in define faith in Google, it came up with a, it's a strong belief in doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. Now, it's what we, what we might call blind faith. Uh, you know, it's, the, it's that kind of, you know, I hope my footy team will win. It's the faith that I had when Courtney Vine was in the last kick. You remember the Matildas? How many shots have we had? Was it 11, 10? I can't remember. Uh, now, for me, that was blind faith. I've got no idea if she's going to get that in or not. But I was like, you can do it. You can do it. Not based on evidence. Now, typically, uh, the world would say, or our, our society would say, that that's what Christians' kind of faith is. You know, it's blind. It's uh, contrary to proof. Uh, you know, you believe in that sky fairy up there. That's all good for you, you know. Um, but I'm, you know, have you had people say to you, that's all right for you, but I'm kind of like an, an evidence guy. I like to see things, be proved things. You know, it's okay for you, but I just can't do that. You heard that? Yeah, I've heard that lots of times. Uh, I think another reason we find it hard when we start talking about faith is because I think within the church, as Christians, we're confused too. Um, you know, sometimes people think, yeah, we do do that. Uh, I, I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we say that. I suppose we just got to have faith, don't you? Just got to believe it. Uh, I, I just think that that's a really unhelpful approach to life, to Christian life. But that's, I think we're just confused. Uh, and it's not, in fact, the way the Bible uses the word faith. Uh, in fact, there's another way which we as a society use it, which I think is more, which is the way the Bible uses the word. And that's uh, to have faith is to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Now, we, we all have faith in this, don't we? This, is, this morning, to get here, you jumped in your car and you drove here unless you walked. But anyway, you jumped in your car and I'm sure you didn't open the bonnet and think, has someone put a bomb? You know, is, is this thing going to blow up? Like, because you, you just trusted that, no, I'm going to start the car, I'm going to get here. You've walked into this building. The roof's not going to fall down. You, you're trusting that. You're sitting on a chair. Uh, you're thinking, this, I'm trusting that this was held. You know, it's, it's simple. We all have this kind of be- belief or trust or confidence in something or someone and uh that's that's kind of the kind of faith that we have in in the bible it's it's what that uses the word as kind of interchangeable with trust but the issue as i tell you this and you're starting to think can i trust this guy from botany because verse one doesn't that say the very opposite thing of what you're just saying you know verse one it looks a lot like the kind of the first definition doesn't it now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. See, I don't think this is intended to give us the kind of full 
orbed, watertight definition of faith here. I think it's actually to show us this is what faith does. That's why we've got all these examples of in the lives of ordinary people. Uh, and there's two aspects that it's just trying to draw our attention to, which really are the ones that help us to persevere as Christians. So he has the two aspects, is assurance of things hoped for. You know, that's the reality of our future home in heaven because of the Lord Jesus and his work, assured, we have that hope. Uh, the other aspect is the conviction of things not seen. You know, this, this here is there's things we don't see which are very real. There's spiritual realities amongst us in this world. Heaven and hell is real. There's an invisible, real God. They're invisible, but we don't see them, but they're real. See, do we have reason to believe these things? I think this is why it's not that blind trust. Well, I think Hebrews 11 will say, yes, of course we do. We have abundant reason in God's word, and for time and time again, he has said stuff and he keeps his word. So if you just look at Abraham... He would say to us now, and he's saying to us, we have so many reasons to trust God and his promises. We get three examples. One of them is verse 8. Have a look at verse 8 with me. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And that was the first reading we had in the Old Testament which is a very familiar promise in Genesis 12. It's famous, really, because that's kind of where God, that's his first promise to set up a people and a nation under uh, Abraham. But I just want us to reflect on how sketchy kind of that call from God is to him, isn't it? He kind of says, go. You know, by faith, he just says, go. There's no mention of what the land is going to be. Uh, I'm sure there wasn't realestate.com in Abraham's time. Uh, you know, he's, he's not like he can just quickly look it up and go, I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's going to be surf or I wonder if there's going to be ocean. I wonder, you know, what the school's going to be like for my family. Uh, no, he just hears a word from God, go. And what does he do? He goes. He can't see the land, doesn't know what it's going to be like, but he trusts God at his word and he goes. The second example of Abraham is with his wife and having kids. Verse 11, uh, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Hint, hint, she's ancient, as good as dead, the next verse would say, since she considered him faithful who had promised. See, the picture of a, you know, a great-grandma over 90 years old having a child, has anyone seen that? Someone has. No. No. But unseen realities, but what happened? Because they trusted that him was faithful, had promised it, they trusted. They, they had it. Verse 17, the next example, uh, by, faith, when, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. See, promises here from Genesis 12, you're going to be, you know, a land with many descendants and blessing to all other nations. Here, God's asked him to offer up his only son. 
Why would he do that? Verse 19, he tells us, because he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. See, why is it that Abraham would leave his home, have kids on his deathbed and prepare to sacrifice his one and only son? Uh, because he believed God's word. He knew God was faithful. He knew the person who was promising is a promise keeper. And he knew that he had the absolute power to deliver on his word. And he has and he does time and time again. So friends, why do we trust God? Why, why do we want to live a life of faith? Because we've got example after example of God making promises and bring it to fruition. He has a 100% track record. See, faith means here believing God's promises, believing in God's word, that his word to us, that he's true. But secondly, there's, a, there's an aspect which is about a future aspect of his promises which comes up again in this chapter time and time again. So back to Abraham in verse 10, you know, he, he's been promised this land and he goes and lives in the land in tents. Uh, doesn't set up a home, doesn't do that. Why? Well, it tells us in verse 10, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, he had a physical land that he lived in in tents. Nothing kind of says temporary more than a tent, does it? I don't know if you... Who's living in a tent at home? You know, camping, yeah, but temporary, definitely temporary. Um, it just says he's passing through, but he was living for a greater reality, a greater promise of heaven as his home, where God was the designer and the builder, and he was looking forward to that. See, all through Hebrews for us, haven't we been told the same promise? Our rest is yet to come. Heaven is our home, secured, guaranteed, because Jesus, our great high priest, has sacrificed himself once for all. But friends, that is the promise of God to you. If you trust in Jesus, that is your home. It's guaranteed. And faith is believing in those promises. But the very nature of faith is, I think, not just a belief, but it's, it's, a, it's a belief in action. And see, Christian faith, I think, is, it's more like a, a powerful telescope. Uh, I thought this analogy really helped me because, you know, we can look to the sky at night uh, and we know there are stars and galaxies beyond what we can see, don't we? But what happens when you look through a telescope? It brings these realities front and centre to your perspective, to your view. Faith brings the unseen realities, the unseen promises of God, that future reality, it brings it to the present for us now so that we can see things that only by faith you can see spiritual realities. That future reality of heaven with him, the, the visible reality, the invisible reality of faith with him now. Hebrews 11, the faith that it's describing is faith that acts now. Not just a belief, but it's, it's a faith that bursts into action. It's a faith that sees... God's word, like a telescope, it's through faith we see the unseen realities and it bursts into action today. So my second question for us is, what does this actually look like on the ground? Way too many things for us to go through everything in detail. 
I'm going to pick four for us. First thing I want us to reflect on is that sometimes living by faith now looks like doing stuff that no one else around you is doing. Sometimes living by faith now looks like doing stuff that no one else around you is doing. Have a look at Noah. He's a good example of this, isn't he? Verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, be mourned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. See, Noah, uh, before Abraham he lived, uh, and he, he lived in a desert. Uh, he, you know, I'm sure there wasn't any kind of apps from his insurance telling him, you know how we get those apps that ha- hailstorms coming, you know, get out of the, the hail, get the car out. I'm sure there wasn't any, there's no push notices on his phone or his watch uh, that told him that this was coming. There's a word of God, but he built an ark in the desert and it took decades to build. Can you imagine how he would have felt, how he would have looked? People just go, you are a nutter, wouldn't they? What, what are you doing? What are you doing here, Abraham? It hasn't rained for donkey's years. Um, but what does he do? Trust God's word and he puts it into action and builds an ark. And he does stuff that no one else around him was doing. Folks would have for many years, for decades, keep going on with life as though it never rains, with the here and now as a normal way of life. He would have felt super weird, I would would think. But faith, when you believe in unseen things, acts in ways that are different from those around. Friends, can I ask you, do you feel like a weird one sometimes in the world? Do you feel weird? You know, do you, when you shape your week around the things of God and Jesus, uh, the things which are unseen to the naked eye, but through the eyes of faith you can see them so clearly? You know, you wake up on a Sunday, it's a beautiful winter's day, and you think, I'm just going to get the kids in the car and bring them to church. And everyone else is getting their kids in the car and heading down to the beach or to the park or to the family. You know, that the, the, the weeknight, you think, I just can't wait to get home from work early so I can get to meet with God's people in growth group. You know, do you, do you feel weird? Do you, do you feel different? Uh, it can be exhausting, I think, can't it? And you can start to wonder, is it all worth it? Is this judgment day that God promised really coming? If Noah were here, and in God's word he is here, he would say, yes, it is. It is worth it. Take seriously God's word. It will look differently, but you're not the nutter. You're actually in reality. Friends, that's the first thing. Faith sometimes looks like doing stuff that no one else around you is doing. Second thing is, faith enables kind of different dreams and ambitions for us. Different dreams and ambitions. You know, I have have four kids and I do have hopes and dreams and ambitions for them. You know, I, I do want them to have great health. I do want them to have an education. 
a good education. I want them to do well and to learn about God's world. I want them to have a job that, you know, might some be satisfy them, that might match with how they're gifted and wired. You know, I do hope that they may have a family. God gives them a family. I have these ambitions for my kids. You know, Hebrews 11 would say to those ambitions, they're just way too low, aren't they? They're just so focused on the here and now, and you've missed the horizon. You've missed the perspective of what God is doing and that future promise he has for you. Moses is a great example of someone who had different ambitions from those around him, didn't he? And different ambitions in light of his promised secure future. Have a look at verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses when he has grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. See, Moses was adopted into the royal family uh, and adopted into absolute kind of wealth, power, prestige and uh, beyond what we could imagine. Yet what does it say he did? He just shrugged it off. He wanted to align himself with the people of God. He wanted his future ambitions to be that of God's and he, he considered reproach, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to that reward. See, his hopes, his dreams were far further focused than the here and now, weren't they? They were looking forward to that amazing home, that reward of seeing Jesus face to face. Friends, what are your ambitions? What are your ambitions for you and your ambitions for your kids or your grandkids? Do they feel short-sighted? Or have you got this home that you want for them? You know, um, Christians can have these and it shows so much in their life, doesn't it? This is so many examples I could give of you. But I, one of the examples I've been encouraged by is a, a guy uh, who works long hours, but all his team uh, know that he doesn't work Sundays and he knocks off early on growth group night. He, 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 he makes sure he leaves, so he makes it home, uh, makes it to be able to get to um, growth group. The other thing he does is he actually takes off time each week to teach kids about scripture. See, they're different ambitions to the world around, aren't they? That faith is worked out differently for this person. Do you hear your work colleagues, people say to you, do you have to do that every week? Do you, you know, is it really a thing that you have to go to why don't you just live a little, take a week off? You deserve it. You've worked hard. And when you hear these voices and you wonder, is it worth it? Put Moses' voice in there and say, heck yes it is. Look forward to your home. Anything that the world will offer you is fleeting compared to the promises that you have in Jesus. Don't look back. Third thing I want to reflect on is faith enables us to please God now. I think we can get so used to um, hearing the true 
word that we can't save ourselves. It's not, not about what we've done, but about what Jesus has done as our sacrifice in our place, uh, that we can end up thinking it's impossible for us to please God. But friends, Hebrews 11 wants to say to you, as people of faith, you can. It is possible to please God. And actually, it's kind of bookended as in verse 2 and verse 39, that these are all people who were commended by God for their faith. Enoch is an example. Uh, in verse 5, he says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, we now can live in a way that actually does please God. You can. I can. And it almost, as I reflect on it, feels scandalous to say. Scandalous because I know my heart. I know my sin. I know my shortcomings. Um. You know, I was reflecting on what would our culture do with all these people in Hebrews 11? You know, that if there was monuments in the street of Moses and Noah and Abraham, our culture would cancel them, wouldn't they? They'd pull them down, write them off the history books because they, a lot of them have failed catastrophically. They've stuffed up. Noah the drunk, Abraham the coward. You know, like, no, pull him down, smash it, cancel. But God doesn't cancel them. God doesn't cancel them. He has their names written so that we would see their example, know their messy, fallen, weak reality, yet hear what God says in verse 16. It says, he is not ashamed to be called their God. See, the beauty of this list is just ordinary people living out faith. It's powerful when you know the whole history of them. Lived their lives messy, flawed, weak, yes. But friends, I think there are so many people who are still alive who in spite of their weakness, their flaws, have modelled a life of faith today, haven't they? If you think about those around you who have impacted you, I think we're going to hear a story later about that. But as, as I was reflecting on this, gosh, I've had so many ordinary people impact and show to me what model, what it looks like to live a life of faith that pleases God. My youth group leader, he's an, he an autoculturalist, and he was nothing fancy. He was, he, he, um, but I tell you what, I rejoice at what he modelled and his faithfulness to teach me about Jesus, to turn up week in, week out. It, it was such a powerful example for me. And I still tell him today, and I thank him for that model of what it looked like to live an ordinary life of faith. I have another person when I was working as an engineer um, and this person was a lawyer, and we were, in, we were in Bible study together, and he, in his spare time, started a church in a housing commission. Now, I don't know if he's that ordinary. 
Um, that's not an ordinary thing, right? I don't know. I don't feel like that's ordinary. But I tell you what, the example of what it looked like to live in light of this heavenly future modelled faith for me. It was different to my youth group leader. He was working, it, it was shaped differently, very different. As I reflect on another person that profound impact on me, it would be my dad. Profound model of what it looks like to live a life of faith. I think, I know he's ordinary. <laughs> I know he's not perfect. I know he's weak, has his issues. But gosh, in spite of all that, he has modelled what it looks like to live a life of faith. It's a powerful impact. I know you all have those around you, and I think it's just worth sharing and reflecting on how God has given us these models of people who live by faith that please God so that we might continue on. My last thing I want us to reflect on is, lastly, a life of faith ends in God's blessing. See, the faith that you have in these unseen realities, the future realities, changes, it bursts into action. And how we live in this chapter, on the one hand, can be victorious. Did you notice that in verses 32 to 35? You know, there's, there's all these examples of uh, uh, victory. But then at the very next sentences, 36 to 38, it comes with suffering, opposition and persecution. See, the life of faith for the here and now, there's no promise of victory. It's, it's actually when you, the, there's promises that you will, if you want to live a godly life, be persecuted. There's a perspective that the life of faith ought to have on us. But I want us to notice that where he lands in verse 39, at the end of the chapter, he says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Do you notice there in verse 40 that he includes us in this long list of promises? He's, he's giving, the, he's talking to the Hebrews, you're invited to be part of this list of men and women who have lived the life of faith. Now the point is that these guys weren't perfect they weren't victorious, all of them. There's no promise of that. That comes next week, chapter 12, because Jesus is the only perfect one and the perfect man of faith. But we have this great cloud of witnesses who have by faith made it to the end of their race. And he wants us to make it. He wants us to have a life of faith that bursts into action now. What that looks like, looks like doing stuff that no one else around you is doing. It looks like having different dreams and ambitions from the world. It profoundly looks like pleasing God in faith and it ends ultimately in that blessing from God, the new heaven and life with him. Friends, do you want your name to be on this list? Do you want to join in this name, in this, in this long list of people? Are you going to choose to live by faith now? I think this is where the life of faith is like Aldi. We are good different. You know, it looked differently for every single person there and it will look different for every single one of us. But it does look like running the race of faith, trusting. And the next 
we, we, I cut the series here and I, I was kicking myself because I feel like it finishes in 12 verse 3. But I can't help but read out this next bit, which we're going to reflect on more next week, uh, where he ends. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's all these people he's just seen, let us throw off everything that hinders in sin. It's so it's sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see the picture he's got there? He's got a whole, a whole like marathon of people who have run the race and they've passed the baton on to people. And we've seen it through history in the Old Testament and he's got this cloud of witnesses. They're here in God's word urging us on, run the race, run the race. Don't give up. Look at, to those who have run before you, perfect, imperfect, yes, but have been models of faith, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the perfecter and founder of our faith. Live by faith. Things that are unseen will feel weird and different, but gosh, it pleases God and it ends in eternal salvation. How about I pray for that end? Oh, gracious God, we're so thankful for these examples. Father, we do pray that you would help us to endure with faith, that our faith would burst into action. And Father, we just thank you so much that our faith isn't blind, that you have your word, that you keep your word, and you've recorded it for us so that we can be confident and assured of these realities. Father, please help us to hold fast and cling to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.